Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write us a review and rate us on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to this on, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk. Thank you. In today's episode, we will be continuing our discussion on the astrological signs of the zodiac with a discussion on the sign of Taurus and some of the mythological and magical symbolism attached to this sign. The second sign of the zodiac is represented by the bull, a primal, a fierce animal that is fierce but also gentle and really symbolises strength and primal sexuality and virility. The poet Bayard Taylor describes Taurus as follows in his hymned Taurus poem. Ere the heels of flying Capricorn have touched the western mountain's darkening rim, I mark stern Taurus through the twilight grey, the glinting of the horn and sullen front uprising large, bent to the starry hunter's sword at bay. Taurus is constellation of the zodiac, which means it crosses the elliptic and it can be found in the northern sky. And the word Taurus means bull in Latin. The astronomy Ptolemy um, listed Taurus when he made a list of the 48 constellations and it's also one of the 88 modern ones. The star clusters Pleiades and Hyades are in Taurus and Taurus also contains the Crab Nebula, which is a supernova remnant. The brightest star in Taurus is a red star called Aldebaran. And as we saw in our episode last week, it comes immediately after Aries. Some important dates. Uh, the astronomical conjunction is May the 14th, June the 20th. Rashi's 15th of May to June the 14th. The tropical calendar is April the 21st to May the 21st. The angel of Taurus is normally um, Asmodel, who kind of focuses on sort of support, security and stability. Colours that are associated with Taurus would be earthy tones, browns, greens, yellows and incense again it's going to be anything that's kind of earthy so sandalwood for instance galbanum etc so moving on to some of this kind of symbolism and uh, significance of it well this is one of the oldest constellations and it may also be one of the first to be established in the zodiac so for example in a lot of ancient zodiacs that have survived this day taurus was the first sign and marks the beginning of the year and it also contained the vernal equinox from 4000 BC to 1000, uh, 1850 BC. There's lots of mythological aspects also related to Taurus. So, for example, in Persian mythology, we have the story of Mithra, the god of light and driver of the sun chariot, who is meant to have captured and killed the primeval bull, Taurus, which then releases the life force of nature. This idea of the creative bull is really nicely expressed in an ancient poem from that period 
known as the Avastan Hymn to Mithra, which is one of the longest and also one of the most preserved of the Yashts. In this poem, Mithra is described in the Zoroastrian Avesta scriptures as Mithra of wide pastures of the thousand ears and the myriad. I quote, We sacrifice unto Mithra, the lord of wide pastures, sleepless and ever awake, whom the lord of the country invokes for help with hands uplifted, whom the lord of the town invokes for help with hands uplifted. The cow driven astray invokes him for help, longing for the stables. When will that bull, Mithra, the lord of wide pastures, bring us back and make us reach the stables? When will he turn us back to the right way from the den of the Druze, from where we were driven? In Persian temples and, and symbolism, Mithra is normally depicted as fighting a griffin. And the symbol of the griffin obviously combines these features of the bull, so Taurus, and obviously the lion as well, Leo, and the scorpion, Autumn, and the eagle as well. So it's an interesting uh, combination of elements there. In ancient Rome, um, the cult of Mithras became a, a massive mystery cult, and its followers and disciples believe that the blood and bone marrow of the sacred bull would ensure the fertility of the universe and its marrow was turned into bread and its blood into wine, so very similar to the Christian um, story as well. Mithras becomes the god of resurrection and redemption and he also becomes almost like a Roman version of Christ or Osiris in uh, Egyptian mythology. There's also an interesting sculpture um, that shows this. If everyone does travel to the UK, if you go up to Hadrian's Wall, um, to Housesteads in Northumberland, there is a really amazing carving that shows Mithras bursting from an egg. And in his hands, he holds the sword of truth and the torch of light. And around him in the egg-shaped form or frame, is a cosmos that contains the 12 signs of the zodiac. So, yeah, that, as I said, that's up in Northumberland in the UK, if people want to go and check it out. Uh, Mithras also had a, a whole mystery cult centred around him, which had different um, initiatic grades. So similar to sort of a Freemasonry um, or a kind of, you know, Western mystery school um, with different grades, different titles. Um, we may do an episode on that at some point. The imagery of the bull of Taurus is also interesting. Um, you know, some scholars have suggested that if we look at the images of Mithraic bulls from around 400 BC, we can only see the head and the forequarters, which may be the origin of our modern depiction of the figure of Taurus. Others also believe that this may be the story of Europa, which we'll discuss shortly. The bull is also important in ancient Egypt um, where they worshipped the Apis bull and the people would hold massive celebrations and festivals in the summer when the Nile overflowed its banks and brought water to the parched land so that crops could grow. And according to the Greco-Egyptian historian Manetho, 
The worship of the Apis bull dates back to nearly 3000 BC to the second dynasty of the first kingdom of Egypt. For the Egyptians, Apis, God, was considered to be God incarnate. It's, the, it's a bringer of fertility, it's a bringer of healing, a bringer of prosperity to all. The worship of the bull is possibly you know, one of the most ancient and maybe related to the fertility of the grains and the herds. But also it has this sort of power and strength aspect to it as well. Um, it's also worth thinking about, obviously, Egypt would have been an agrarian, you know, agricultural society. Um, obviously, wouldn't have had tractors and, you know, power tools, etc. So, you know, the bull was essential to actually be able to plough the fields. So, you know, you would need this bull in order to kind of do, do that work and make it easier to bring some food back. Um, the god Apis was also considered to be one of the most kindest, the most beneficent of deities. Um, he was also the guardian of children. And it was believed that any child who smelled the breath of the bull was thought to have the power to tell the future. Um, and the Apis in, was himself also used as a kind of form of divination, apparently. So the bull would be asked a question and then offered food. If he rejected the food, it meant that it was a bad omen. But if he ate it, it was a good omen. So, yeah, anyone who's got a bull out there that wants to give that a try, um, let's see if it works. <laughs> um, over in Europe as well, the Festival of Taurus is meant to have been celebrated by uh, the Druids. And... There was some connections there as well. Um, and also in China, we have the sign of Taurus as part of a constellation known as the, the White Tiger. In ancient Greece, the bull was very important. Obviously, it's a symbol of Jupiter, the most powerful and supreme god of ancient Greece, the ruler of heaven and lesser gods and men. And Jupiter has a very romantic streak, as men have had loads of affairs, wives and mistresses. And one of the most famous of this is Princess Europa, who's daughter of Phoenicia. In the story, Europa is meant to have had a very quiet life. She's sheltered existence at her father's palace and, you know, protected, doesn't really know a lot about the world outside. One evening while she's asleep, she's meant to have had a prophetic dream in which a strange woman holds out her arms and says, I shall bring you to Jupiter, for destiny has appointed you, his beloved. Later that day, when Europa and her maidens um, go out to pick roses and hyacinths in a meadow besides the sea, the mighty god Jupiter sees them and instantly falls in love with their beauty. And he's really determined to have Europa However, he knows that she'll be terrified if he appears to her as a god. So he transforms himself into a magnificent white bull with jewel-like horns and a silver crescent in the middle of his forehead. Europa caresses the bull and then eventually she climbs on its back. And then he springs into the air and carries her away to the island of Crete. There he changes himself back to his true likeness and he declares his love.
for Europa, and then they become lovers. This is described by the poet Ovid in his Metamorphosis as follows. And gradually she lost her fear, and he offered his breast for her virgin caresses, his horns for her to wind with chains of flowers, until the princess dared to mount his back, her pet bull's back unwitting whom she rode, then slowly, slowly down the broad-dyed bench. First in the shallow waves the great god set his spurious hooves, then sauntered further out, till in the open sea he bore his prize. Fear filled her heart as gazing back she saw the fast receding sands, her right hand grasped, a horn the other leant upon his back. Her fluttering tunic floated in the breeze. And that's a quote from Ovid talking about Jupiter and Taurus, the bull. Um, shortly after this event, Venus, who's the goddess of love, is meant to have appeared to Europa to basically tell her that she was the woman that had that had told her about this courtship with Jupiter in her dream. And Venus also tells her that from now on, the continent to which Jupiter would be taken, it would be known as Europe. And... Yeah, so then, so then they kind of live happily ever after. Europe bores Jupiter three children, and Jupiter took the likeness of the bull and places it in the heavens. So, before we finish the episode, I wanted to touch on some of the magical aspects of Taurus as well. So, from a magical perspective, as we've seen, Taurus comes after Aries, so it's it's an important figure in the beginning of the year when the spring, all that joy is coming up, is bubbling up. Mother Nature is beginning to mature into the summer months um, and we begin to see the most beautiful time of the year. It's a time of springtime, of joy. The light is getting lighter. It's a time of romance. So Venus, the planet that rules Taurus, is in the air. And it's very much uh, a beautiful time. It's a feast for the senses. And part of the energy of Taurus is really about the sensuous pleasure. So anything we can touch, anything we can feel, anything we can smell, things that delight us. It's all about that aesthetic beauty and the arts. This is an earthly sign. So from you know elemental point of view, the energy of Taurus you know, is useful with regards to building things, to growing wealth as well as planning for the long term. It's all about building foundations that are firm and brick by brick, making sure that they're strong. Anything to do with families, anything to do with houses, gardens, um, you know, the basic foundations of all life would fall within this sphere. And it's, it's a good energy if you want to kind of strengthen your home life, relationships and stability. That's all we've got time for today. However, we continue this series next week. Um, I'd like to finish the episode with a poem by Rudyard Kipling dedicated to Mithras. Mithras, god of the morning, our trumpets waken the wall. 
Rome is above the nations, but thou art over all. Now as the names are answered, and the guards are marched away, Mithras, also a soldier, give us strength for the day. Mithras, god of the noontide, the heather swims in the heat. Our helmets scorch our foreheads, our sandals burn our feet. Now in the ungrit hour, now ere we blink and drowse, Mithras, also a soldier, keep us true to our vows. Mithras, god of the sunset, low on the western main, thou descending immortal, immortal to rise again. Now when the watch is ended, now when the wine is drawn, Mithras, also a soldier, keep us pure till dawn. Mithras, god of the midnight, here where the great bull dies, look on thy children in darkness, O take our sacrifice. Many roads thou hast fashioned, all of them lead to the light. Mithras, also a soldier, teach us to die aright. Thanks so much for joining us this week on the Occult London podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please make sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you and good night.